Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name's Nate Davison, and I am your host here at Grace Story Podcast. Today on this episode, we have a special guest. Her name is Natalie Edmondson. Uh, she's joining us to talk about her organization, her story, and a lot more. I also have with us a surprise guest. Uh, it's the president and founder and my sister, uh, president and founder of Great Story Ministries, Amber Jones. Amber, how are you? Hey, I always love joining in for the conversation, Nate. It's great to be here. And I'm glad you're here because you and Natalie actually have a lot in common. Um, so we wanted to have you on uh, just as part of this conversation. But Natalie, as we bring her into the show, uh, she is a writer, a speaker. She is the founder of Berean Holiness. Uh, she's currently working on her Masters of Divinity, and she's going to come uh, on the show here to share a little bit with us. Natalie, welcome to Grace Story Podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here. It's a, it's great to have you, and we have a lot to get into. I See, I make these these show notes, and they're so elaborate, and they have so many questions because I'm naturally inquisitive, and then <laughs> I know we're not going to get to all of it. And our, our episodes aren't short either because they're biweekly, so they're like 55 minutes, an hour long. Um, so I, I know we won't get to everything, but I just want to start right off the bat with maybe where does your passion come from for the organization Berean Holiness uh, that you lead? And, and where maybe did that Berean Holiness name come from? Yeah, so the Berean Holiness name comes from Acts 1711, which talks about the Bereans were more noble because they were searching the scriptures and examining to see if what Paul was telling them was true. So even though Paul, you know, he was an apostle, we know how great Paul was, but the Bereans could not just accept his word at face value, whether he was anointed or a man of God or not, they were going to search the scriptures and see if it was so. And he commended them for them for that. He did not scold them. So that's where the first part of the name comes from. And then holiness is um, the movement that I come from is one of the many holiness denominations, movements, um, branches. And so, of course, that's a tradition of theology. But in reality, it's the, the holiness in the name Berean holiness comes from I want to know what genuine holiness is and where genuine biblical holiness comes from. And that's the holiness that I want to live in. And what is that? I want to search the scriptures and see what that is and live in that. Um, and that holiness, of course, only comes through Christ and the gospel. That's the conclusion. So spoiler, now you know what, <laughs> uh, yeah. what the end of the search will be. Um, but yeah, and then as far as where does the passion come from, it, the passion comes from compassion, uh, is how I would put it. Compassion mm -hmm. for everyone who is hurt by bad theology. Bad theology hurts people. It's really that simple. And I've just seen too much uh, damage and destruction that comes from uh, a very works-based, performance-based, hyper-fundamentalist is the word I would use, a brand of theology. And so I really want to help people get back to grace, get back to the gospel, get back to Christ, um, and understanding that he, you know, he relationship with Christ is where the holiness comes from. It's not uh, God in heaven looking down at us just saying, work harder, do more, jump higher, and maybe I'll love you. Um, it, it all comes back to the gospel. And I think that is so healing. It, it's so life-giving. Um, and I'm not ashamed of the genuine gospel. And that's really where the underlying passion lies. Well, it's not, it's not lost on me that, that uh, some of the, and you grew up in a different background than we grew up in, but it's kind of the same story. Um, we talked about that on another podcast uh, with somebody there in a different group. We actually found out from them that we would have been considered liberal to their conservatives. So we didn't, we didn't even know that we were liberal to somebody, but um, it's not lost on me that, that in our faith tradition, a lot of this emphasis on extra biblical man-made rules do apply more to women. Um, and, and, and Amber may speak to that more because, you know, I can go into some situations with the same standards of a conservative holiness or holiness movement or whatever uh, tag you want to put on it and blend in as a male. 
Um, if a woman goes into those same things dressed in, in that, I don't, garb sounds, whatever, but garb <laughs> works, I guess. You're going to know that they're, you know, prayer cap or, or, you know, hair up or long dress, whatever it may be. Um, and Amber can speak more to that on, on the emphasis for women versus men. Yeah. Well, and I, I identify too with your passion for starting it because that's really how Grace Story started is just with the passion for helping the people that were wounded and needing a safe place to go. And interestingly, um, you know, Grace Story was started to come alongside the work the church was doing. I was a bit naive in that at first and optimistic, but really wanting to support what the church was doing. Um, certainly not to undermine or attack or threaten some of the words that we've gotten to describe Grace Story in the past, but to really come alongside and say, you know, as a shepherd of a congregation, you may not be educated in all of the behavioral sciences and mental health sciences. And so we want to just come alongside. And as we did that work starting in 2019, we started realizing there's a lot of trauma that is being hidden um, and gaslighting has become such a trend word to where sometimes people don't really quite realize what it is and how really prevalent it is within church systems. And again, this is a generalization. Um, I, I try to put out this disclaimer whenever I talk about this. There are very good pastors. That's why I thought we were coming alongside to help those. And, you know, let's let's make the difference differentiated between um, a curiosity and addiction or between um, a, a random blow up of anger and anger management issues, you know, so to be able to do that. And, and so I see the same thing with what you you're doing over there with Brian holiness, you know, something that has come along to just equip and educate has really uncovered some blind spots within church community um, that the average layman isn't really aware of. They just, willing to gaslighting as um, our last, let's see, uh, Dr. Brooks says, you know, a fish doesn't ask what's water. And so you just get used to being in that environment. You accept what's there. You accept what's being taught. You accept that authority structure as this is the way it is. And, um, and so I'm curious as you've gone throughout your work, I know you've run into some of that as well. And um, what are some of those should we say inspiration stories that have informed where you've gone with Brian Holiness and, and some of the, the work that you do now? Inspiration stories. So, you know, so many of the stories, we, we get stories on a regular basis, but of course part of the work is you have to keep everything um, <laughs> private <laughs> right? because you, you have to, people trust you and you have to keep their confidentiality. I will share one. I can share it because it's um, a testimonial that we have on our, our website that someone gave us permission to share. Mm -hmm. um, and if you don't mind, I'll just read it. It's just a couple paragraphs. Sure. I found your Instagram page yesterday randomly, clearly not by happenstance, and I have cried more in the past 24 hours than I care to admit. I read most of your posts already and scrolled comments on them. This is the first account I've ever seen that is a concise, clear, scriptural, but loving documentation of holiness beliefs and their inconsistencies. I was a seventh generation Pentecostal in the UPCI who grew up in the church of my grandparents who were pastors and was truly conditioned to look down on anyone, especially women who didn't look the part. I've always had questions about standards and theological stances, but I was shut down from answers. It was in college that I met my now husband, who was also in a UPCI church, but he was reading John Piper and Tim Keller and having a different idea about the process of salvation and necessity of standards. Four years ago, we left the UPCI and were completely ostracized. We have frequently wondered if we've made a mistake. Reading your posts, they're helping me to see that we aren't crazy, backslidden, out of God's will, or any other thing we've been accused of. While the point is not to feel validated in our beliefs or find confirmation bias, it's just refreshing to see clearly articulated, well-thought-out articles and arguments that are free from undue judgment, sarcasm, and tribalism. I guess that's just a lot of words to say thank you. Thank you for what you're doing, for posting what you're posting, researching what you're researching, and loving online strangers with truth. I will be looking forward to each new post. 
Um, and that was originally an email that we were given permission to share. But it's those emails, those DMs that we get on a regular basis. It's just, I've got to keep doing this. This this is worth it if I can just help people. Because when you leave one of these um, hyper-fundamentalist churches, and you know this was a group that none of us here are part of, um, the, you know, they deny the Trinity. It's a completely different group, but uh, she would s- still be able to resonate um, with with the same studies, you know, that I did that that helped me process my theology um, because there's this underlying thread of, again, what I call hyperfundamentalism, and I could I could explain that more if um, it would be helpful. But just that thinking that it's all about, you know, how we look and how much we give up and how strictly we adhere to dress codes that earn us favor with God and get us closer to God, that whole system of theology that is so damaging to our view of God and our view of ourselves. And if I can just help one person really, truly come to understand the gospel, then it didn't, then it's worth it all. Well, you mentioned a positive that's come out of your social media interactions, uh, an email that you got. Are, are they all like that? Uh, all the <laughs> all the, uh, the messages you get and, and the emails you get? Um, we know they're not. I mean, there's people that are, are, are writing in. We see it on your page. It's out there in the public. And um, honestly, some of them are just out in left field. Um, but with that I would ask you this, as you're going through that, are there underlying values or principles that you adhere to in your interactions over this? Um, and then a follow-up, do you deal with bitterness when people are uh, yelling or throwing stones or ridiculing you um, uh, in, in, in the old ways on, uh, on Facebook? So is your first question was, do we deal with those? Um, absolutely, yes. And, and not as much, not as much directly. At first, they tried directly, and I think they realized they weren't going to phase us. Um, so most of our haters take it to the public, and, and that's totally fine because they're showing their true colors. Um, especially when they're name calling, belittling, gaslighting, gaslighting, targeting, um, and we could go on and on. Just lots of shame and fear. Shame and fear um, mm-hmm. right. is really what it boils down to. And unfortunately, that's how the algorithm of Facebook works. So much to their chagrin, it's actually driving more traffic to the page. I would assume, uh, based on people coming and doing up or down votes or their own comments, what have you, uh, the Facebook algorithm loves that. Oh, absolutely, and. Um, and I think this is a little bit where Brian Holiness and Grace Story probably um, would take a different angle uh, to helping these people, whereas we deal especially with the theology. Um, and because of especially how algorithms work, we embrace conflict. I won't say we love it, um, but we do embrace it as because a lot of it, how Brian started was before we even launched the website which the website is cross-examinations of holiness doctrine. That's how it started. Um, And before we even launched it, we said, hey, if anyone wants to, you can come onto our website before it's published, read our articles, write a rebuttal, and we'll publish your rebuttal with our article when we launch the website. So from the get-go. That's a great And that's an offer. It's an offer we've always made, always had out there, and taken everyone up on it uh, so far. But I say that to say it's very much the principle of truth stands on our own two feet. Um, so let's let these views have it out. Let them clash. Let the arguments clash. Not the not the personal, not the ad hominem, but the the underlying fact to fact, logic to logic. Let's see which one stands at the end of the day, which is more sound, which is more biblical, which is a better reflection of the text. Um, and so we've always embraced theological conflict because we believe truth stands on our own two feet. Um, but because of that, uh, we don't mind as much conflict on social media because it's not as much the emotional support, even though we do have private um, forums for emotional support. And, and in those forums, we're going to be very sensitive and very much, hey, let's not trigger people. Um, but on the main platform, conflict is fine. And <laughs> One reason why I'm even more uh, okay with that than I was when I originally launched Brian 
is that every single time there's been a conflict, it has worked in our favor, big time. Every single time someone calls us out. And that's, I think that's why they've stopped using our name because they know it can work <laughs> in our favor. Um, yeah, every it, single time. It's, when you, when you say use, use your name, how do they, how do they, uh, address you then is uh what what do they say instead that place on facebook <laughs> that, that place, place. <laughs> well and i think i think it's it's interesting though because i think part of the culture of this is is making it not personal so mm -hmm. if you if you are debating a person then we are required to treat one another very black and white biblically as created in the image of God and um, having value. And that's the basis of a lot of the, you know, the Christian belief system. But if it's an institution, if it's a place and it's not a person, um, it's a lot easier to try to get a little harsh or a little more critical um, because, you know, and, and even truly just to state for what it is to get abusive because mm -hmm. if it's a place and it's an entity rather than a person, when someone crosses over that line um, and they're putting that, that unhumanizing it, um, that's where some of this, this really inappropriate, harsh stuff starts to happen. And I know even just from the mental health standpoint, um, when you bump up against survival trauma, so this is what you're doing with brand holiness, what we're doing with grace story organizations, like even though we come from it, a completely different point of view with helping people um, and really digging into the truth of their stories that can come across as threatening. It can threaten an institution. It can threaten the culture of a community that has been very carefully curated for generations and that threatening really does come up against the power survival, um, the just that whole narrative that has been made for these community, these faith communities. And when you push up against that, you're you're not dealing with logic any longer. Mm -hmm. You know, you're you're really bumping up against what has helped them um, survive, thrive, and control and control, right. Mm -hmm. Well, and really, if you think about it too, even that you, you, that place on Facebook, it's kind of the the behavior over decades of uh, even the standards, the unwritten rule book, the the I I ain't going to name names up here today, but we are, like everybody knows, mm -hmm. but uh, no one talks about it, and that in and of okay. itself is a way of controlling people. I want to I want to shift to a listener question that's on the same vein and talks about anxiety. Uh, with the conflict. Um, and maybe you can address this for one of our listeners who wrote in when we told them you were coming on the show. They said, do you deal with any level of anxiety when you post truth to power on social media, knowing that there will be people that will attack you saying they are, quote, speaking truth in love to you? I know that I would be anxious because of the coming conflict. Um, so it, answering that question, what, how, how do you answer that listener? Oh, absolutely. There's anxiety. Like, that was easy. <laughs> um, it's terrible. Yeah, and, but it's, it's definitely a lot less now. And I think that is because every single time there's been conflict, it's worked in our favor, like hundreds, every, every significant conflict of any type, think of it in hundreds of people have found us and started reaching out and saying, wow, this is so helpful. This is what I've been looking for. I'm so grateful. Like, and I, so that definitely gives me confidence. Um, and it's just a matter of especially knowing I just, I'm not perfect in any means, but when I write something, reading it, rereading it, and just making sure that I've stayed with the facts that it's not ad, hom ad hominem, it's not attacking a person, it's not name calling, it's just saying, hey, this was done and this is why I think it was wrong. Or here's the argument that was presented in this sermon and look how it falls apart when we compare it to this scripture. And I'm just trying to stay very objective and you you really can't 
go wrong with that as long as you're just very respectful, be as gracious as you can, but being being as objective as you can. And then if people just lose it, um, that's just going to work in your favor as far as the algorithm. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, actually, if we should even release this episode because you've just given away a big secret <laughs> to people that want you to disappear and go away. If they just wouldn't engage, you wouldn't get as much traction on social media. So maybe <laughs> but that's not what you want. You actually want those people to right. engage and bring their and, arguments. And they can't help themselves. So I'm I was about to say about that. <laughs> it's like you, yeah. it would, but, you just can't help it. <laughs> but yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, the heart of it still is we want the arguments um, as much as showing true colors works in our favor because people are like, wait, all you have is you can just call her the Berean Holiness chick whippersnapper um, <laughs> and, and a lot of other weird names like that's all you've got. Um, so there's there's that. But and yeah, that helps us too because I'm repeating myself now, but it, it, it really shows that that's all they've got. Um, but ideally, I would like to interact and engage on an intellectual, theological, biblical level with the best of the best arguments for hyper-fundamentalism. Um, and I'll just pause here and say basically hyper-fundamentalism is the extreme of fundamentalism. Um, so if you f- know what fundamentalism is, is uh, which referring to the movement from 1970s, 80s, um, if you know what that is, take that and go to the extreme rigid version where it's so strict that we have these dress codes that you're literally going to hell if you don't follow. Um, and and that's going that kind of vein of thought, that authoritarian, very controlling, very much we draw the lines for you. We cannot trust you to follow the Holy Spirit for yourselves. We have to, um, every area that scripture doesn't speak to, we're going to draw these strict lines, especially dress and entertainment. And somehow, you know, the more strict you can be, the holier you will be. That whole mindset is basically the core of hyper-fundamentalism. And that's the common denominator that I'm speaking about. Well, and and that's the thing. I don't think all of this was ever set, you know, what not always at least isn't always set with the idea of just I'm going to control my parishioners mm-hmm. right it's more of that batten down the hatches we've got to protect the belief system that we believe is inherently inspired by God and and that is what when we start as human beings taking on the job of the Holy Spirit like you said I've I've said that for years while I was in it and especially since um, moving away from the faith community um, that we grew up in. But um, knowing that that had been done probably with good intentions. I mean, we heard the slippery slope thing. So just keeping on setting that line, but then it becomes concrete. And then it becomes explained as Bible. And then it becomes not explained you know, then it's not explained. It just is. So I love the way you say truth stands on her own two feet. Yes, it does. But when you start, when those groups start using it as, um, I don't have to explain what this is. And I think that's what we're running into here is I don't have to explain what this is. It is truth. If you question that, Nate has a story he's shared before, but if you, if you question that, maybe your heart isn't right because yeah, where, where's your heart on that? Why are you asking? Why do you want to get close to the line? Why do you want to right. find out where that line is and just, you wouldn't know? you want to be as safe as possible? But that whole <laughs> line of thinking is built on the idea that stricter dress codes can get us closer to God. Right. And, right. and that's my whole, that's my whole problem with it is this concept, this way of thinking that the stricter we are, the holier, holier we are, yeah. especially in dress and entertainment. Yeah. As a 20 year old, I got married and, um, man, at that point, I really felt like I was an old maid and I was going to be single the rest of my life, you know, at 20, but I remember standards for marriage, (laughs) 21, (laughs) but I remember, um, one of my first jobs after getting married, I was riding with a 50 something year old office manager for the medical office I worked for. And she was asking why I wore skirts. Again, this is not about the item. This is Mm -hmm. not about the item. Um, 
I would have happily stayed in that and worn them. It's, that's not what this is about. But she had asked why I wore skirts. And I said, well, I walk in all the light I have. And that was the line I'd always been given, right? Like I walk in my light. And she looked at me and said, so are you saying I, I'm a 50 plus year old woman and I have been a Christian for most of my life. And so you're saying as a 20 year old, you have more light than I do. And I was floored. I had no pat answer for that. I said, well, no, I'm sure God will show you, Ooh. you know, exactly. <laughs> that made it so much better. True story. True Heaven's story. No, be I'm really sure small and you God will go. show you your, your, the light he has for you. Right. I had nowhere to go with that because that's all I'd ever been given was we walk in higher light. Right. Mm-hmm. And and that started me down a path even back then of of like, well, Lord, I don't actually have a problem with some of these things. And the, the reasons I've been given don't seem to line up biblically, but I want to be a part of this church group. So I'm I'm limiting those liberties so I can have influence here. Right. But at 20, I was like, I don't even know how much influence I have yet. Like I'm just toting the company line. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that leads me to another question because we're talking about how you make decisions in life, how you, how you, how you attune yourself to the Holy Spirit to guide you. And someone's got it all laid out for you. Follow these, these fundamentals, these rules. And, oh, we've got a few extras just to keep you really close. So it it begs the question here, uh, like growing up, and this is for you, Natalie, growing up in that culture, excessive adherence to man-made rules. What did that do do to both your self-worth and then also I would ask your confidence in your critical thinking or decision-making abilities mm-hmm. about just life or your faith walk. As far as self, self-worth, I was only as good as I was perfect. So That's not, not going to work out really well. I, I, man, that, that really right there is the theme of my story is just trying to be perfect. And I'm so grateful that I journaled when I was a teenager and into my twenties because it's right there on the pages, me Mm -hmm. as 15, 16, 17 saying, man, if I could just do more, if I could just be more. And I really, really, really wanted to be noticed and I don't think it was just I'm, I'm already thinking what haters are gonna say hearing that line I, I do the same um, thing I have critics <laughs> well the thing is though the thing is though just to interject there that is part of it and we hear that in in table conversation is if you're publicly affirmed for your good works if you're publicly affirmed just as the flip side is if you're publicly shamed not that mm-hmm. they would call you by name but they have a it's, way there of, are those in this congregation that or we right <laughs> right so so you're you are but your life individually is spoken into mm for either the shaming behavior behavior modification or for the affirmation of tearful public affirmation of this person is doing good work. This is what kingdom work is. Mm -hmm. This is what ministry looks like. So go ahead. themselves enough that, yeah, Yeah. yeah, back to your, it sounds like you could write your, have on your journal a, a journey uh, through scrupulosity, just like it sounds like you're <laughs> at that point where, you know, yeah. one or the other, but back to you on, on your, your journey there. Yeah. So it was so much just trying to be perfect, just trying to, because I wanted, and I say that I wanted to be noticed and I, I'm in complete agreement about that was the culture you're going to, and it's all about being noticed in the world too. Like we got to be noticed for our ankle length, jean skirts and our hair that's past our knees. Like it's notice, notice that that's that what is brings so glory important. to God. Yeah, yeah. I, always, I always heard on that instance, one of the biggest things about a skirt or a way I dress is it gives me lots of opportunities to share Jesus. And I was just like, I don't get, okay, sure. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen a lot of people do that. It's uh, more confusion, but okay. Yeah. Oh man. Um, <laughs> I could rabbit show right there. <laughs> so, like, oh, please let me go. Please let me go. <laughs> yeah. You can go wherever you want. Um, yeah. My, I just go back to my stories of yep. um, when I first started street evangelism, just 
going to people on the street and sharing the gospel. I actually started it with Baptist, um, which is a whole nother story. I was Shocker. not supposed to be with them, but they were the only people doing street outreach like that. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, let me. Um, so I did because I was a little bit of a rebel. Um, but anyways, to share it was the gospel. You're a rebel. Wow. <laughs> I did. I teamed up with Baptist people to share the gospel. That was my rebellious stage. And I, the people were, the, the Baptists were totally fine with my very long jean skirt and long hair and long sleeves. Um, they were so understanding, but trying to share the gospel, people were just like, are you Amish? Like that was seriously the question. They were confused mm-hmm. and they were just stuck on. So if I have your religion, I have to look like you. I mean, that that's what they were stuck on. And then I watched my Baptist friends go up and just share the gospel. And the person's like, yeah, tell me more about Jesus. And I'm going, what is wrong with my, um, this isn't working. Um, it's not what <laughs> yeah. is supposed to, yeah. how it's supposed to work. Um, yeah, and, and not that you can't share the gospel with the long skirt right. and long hair. Totally possible. I know people have done it successfully, but in my personal story, it was a hindrance. And that was a real wake-up call to me, considering I'd been told that's how you are light. So, all of that to go back to say, yes, I so much wanted to be noticed by my holiness movement, um, especially as a teenager. And I moved out not long after I turned, like weeks after I turned 17 um, and went away to one of their Bible colleges. Um, So I was already traveling the movement um, and more involved as 17, 18, 19. And so much wanted to be known as the perfect holiness girl. Like that was a term. I don't know in your movement, but our, our movement, holiness girl was the ultimate (laughs) compliment. I'm, I'm laughing because I traveled in quartet for a Bible college and we had a parody song on the Beach Boys Surfer Girl and we made up lyrics in four-part harmony for Little Holiness Girl and people <laughs> loved it. Um, I kid you not. So you're right. It was a, the the perfect holiness girl was uh, was definitely, yeah. definitely a thing, not just in your circles. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, but I think really what it boiled down to is I wanted to be loved um, and I wanted to be cared about and I wanted to be valued. And right. I thought my value came from how strictly I adhered to the rules. Well, it was a very harsh wake up call when I went to an extremely strict Bible college. Like women, men and male and female students can't shake hands. Strict Bible college. Um, not that they believe that was moral because I know that's going to be mentioned to me. Um, that not that they thought it was like a moral issue, immoral, but that it was, yeah, we weren't allowed to. Um, and I, someone's going to tell me that's not true, but it wasn't my experience. They were like, (laughs) you cannot shake each other's hands. That happened in my story. Okay. I can't speak to everyone else who went to that college, but anyways, that's just, and I, I just share that as, um, an example of how strict it really was. But even in that environment, I followed every rule to the T. Yeah. And I never got campus, never got, you know, docs, never got nothing. Um, but even, and I was like one of the only students there that, because it was just so strict. Um, I think I got a late minute in my first you know, semester. <laughs> right. It was, they, you know, they keep late minutes on uh, like breakfast and all kinds of stuff. Anyways, so it Bre- gave bre- me an opportunity. Wait, <laughs> breakfast. On, it's not even were, chapel. Like that's were breakfast. Late to breakfast. I was late to breakfast. My first semester, I got a late minute because I think I got to breakfast at seven oh one, um, instead of seven o'clock in the morning. You be As as a guy who spent most of his days working night shift because it just worked better with my schedule, that would have been terrible. Also, yeah. like. <laughs> I don't like really like breakfast. I like to eat. Like, <laughs> you will eat breakfast, <laughs> and you'll like it. Here's your girl. Oh, sorry, off the rails again. Back. You, so you're, yep. you're late. You're late to breakfast. You got a <laughs> warning. But um, yeah, all that to say, it gave me an environment where I could prove right. how good right. of a rule keeper I was, yeah. and I bent over backwards to prove that, and I still did not feel valued, or people just thought I was weird. Like, they thought I was weird for keeping all the rules. Like, I could not win. You couldn't win. (laughs) I couldn't win. And so, 
Yeah, I mean, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> it was kind of weird <laughs> if you look back at it because uh, that's not the way you, your, your self-worth, your identity, your faith. Uh, your, none of that has to do with getting to breakfast on time, um, but it, especially with 701. But, I mean, I get it. <laughs> that sounds like a drill camp more than anything. Um, yeah, it was. It's about self-discipline and And, and, (laughs) self-denial and those are all spiritual disciplines, right? And and I actually will, I'll throw in here, I actually really did love my experience at that school. And I think it was partly because I love the structure. I love people. I hadn't had people in a lot of my life. I was very isolated growing up. So there was a lot of good there, but that's still, still very much my story is just how, how much can I bend over backwards? And it was very much in drilled in us. And this was, shoot, this was the theology in our whole movement was if you just pray more, fast more, God's going to send this amazing revival. There's going to be fire like, mm. like Azusa Street. It's going to be on top of the church and people are going to rush in because they see these this miraculous fire mm-hmm. that doesn't burn the church like the burning bush with Moses. And they're right. going to come in and get saved. If you would just pray more and you would see the Shekinah glory and it's going to be a blue smoke in the church. And here's a story about how we saw it 30 years ago and y'all are just not as holy as we were, or you would have seen it too. And so mm-hmm. it was constantly like, how can I do more? Because we still weren't seeing blue smoke and fire. And I mean, like, it sounds silly, but I'm serious. Like that's what mm-hmm. I was looking for. And it was just like, ah, and I, I got to the point where, um, I was praying like hours a day, like to the point where I'm not even proud of it because it wasn't relationship. It was such a drudgery. It was such a like, oh my word, is that clock going to hit two hours or not? Like it was yeah, so right. hard. Um, and just reading my Bible, like a drill sergeant and just forcing myself like one more chapter, another chapter, another chapter. Um, and just fasting and like, it's so hard for, yeah, even fasting now is difficult because it just throws me back to those memories of starving myself. Right. Um, when I'm a very underweight teenager, um, and going days without food and water, because I was just like, I just wanted to be holy enough if not for my movement which was really important to me but if even if the movement couldn't uh, recognize that then at least for God I wanted God to be uh, pleased with me and I thought the only way to get that was through works and it just felt impossible it just I was just so burnt out and so exhausted and so having not reached that point of being the perfect holiness girl um, but but before reaching that, getting so burnt out and exhausted, I cannot continue. It just felt like perfection is impossible. Therefore, I will never be good enough. Therefore, I will never be loved. Therefore, I am worthless. That was the so, logic. So with that, looking and you said you have trouble with, with fasting today because of, you know, some of those mm-hmm. things. Do you look back on that and view it as spiritual trauma? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it I think it could definitely be put in that category yes um and it wasn't that one time traumatic event it was more i think it's oh i forgot how to say her name um dr diana is all i can remember i forgot her last name it starts with the l langsburg langberg yes i think yeah. so um but yes uh, expert trauma counselor mm-hmm. and yeah yep so but she talks about being marinated in trauma mm-hmm. and that's I feel like more with that season of my life was when it comes to uh, spiritual trauma, because it was just this constant anxiety and just constantly trying to do more and just it feeling impossible, God feeling so far away um, that, yeah, that's that I may be categorized that way. Yeah, Diane Langberg um, started an organization, Grace, which is one of the organizations that Grace Story um, looks to for a mentorship um, and partnership, but um, we're about to do a series uh, coming up at, um, along with them that trauma informed church. But that is one of the things, even just for listeners, just to interject here, um, I think it's netgrace.org and you can go and find information there um, on Safe Church and um, legal advice and auditing your church and things like that. That's, that's some of what they do. But I, what I'm hearing you say is the sincerity of heart that you had in truly 
these are the things you were being taught and, and you were trying to follow those because the sincerity of the innocence that you had there was, I want to follow God. And even if I don't understand it, this is, I will do this. Like I will do whatever it takes to draw closer to God. And, and that is, um, breeding ground for trauma to happen when when there's that much trust being put into an authority structure with the unchecked power to make up those rules and to teach those things and to have that go unquestioned um i know in a conversation i had with one of the leaders of um, my former faith community and we were trying to figure out if we could come back to an event at some point and that was just not going to be an option on their end. And one of the things um, he had said was, you know, we're just losing our young people. Um, And, and I, at that point I realized like, you know, I wasn't, I, I, I never am trying to be disrespectful, but I said, I don't think we're losing our young people to the world though. And, and my parents' generation, they all went hippie. They just abandoned faith. But even Our those parents aren't hippies, just just right. <laughs> the parents generation, you know, but like that generation, it seemed like you saw a lot more of the quotes, young people that just abandoned faith altogether. And if you look at an overarching demographic of young people in this day and age and young people going up to like the age of 30 as they're launching and making their own decisions. And I told them this, I don't believe we're losing our young people to the world like to a lack of faith, we're losing our young people to community church. And maybe it's time to ask ourselves why. And when we have made the simplicity of the gospel an unattainable standard, even those who are working through gender identity crisis and things like that are still just trying to go find a gender identity confirming church. You know, they Mm -hmm. still know that there's there still seems to be this well faith is still a necessary component of my life god is still real i just need to make him find the one that is going to confirm my belief because Mm -hmm. we're we're being taught these unattainable standards and if i cannot please this god and then we find a church that says no no you can please god just as you are and it's still not teaching biblical truth we've just swung the pendulum the other way Mm-hmm. So that's, again, one of the things I love about what Brain of Holiness is doing as far as the approach to biblical research and the call to um, not just question authority for rebellion's sake, but to question authority um, or what you've been taught as far as is this truth. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and addressing further what you're, you're saying there, Amber, like Reformation used to at one time mm-hmm. look like nailing 95 theses to a, to a church door. And these days, Reformation may look like walking out that church door. Uh, and that's a scary thing because yeah. what's on the other side? What am I getting into? What, what church am I going to go to? Um, are they going to be, because you're taught that all these other churches are liberal and they're you know going to have, have us all being those hippies or whatever. But um, what does that look like? Where am I going? To, how do I find a, a good Bible-believing church? And again, that's what I like about Brian Holiness is it's, everything's laid out there. It's, it's bare for scripture. It's all down to, and and everything looks really good too. It's all great for Instagram and all that. Um, it's very well done, but it's just laid out scripture by scripture and it's clearly delineated. What is scripture and what is you talking, Mm -hmm. which is something I've, I've had issue with some people. You can't tell they'll weave scripture into what they are saying and you don't know, wait, hold on. Was that King James or was that, (laughs) that was for, I don't, was that you? Um, and it's hard to know. Um, so like as you've moved, um, or been drawn out of circles, Natalie, what, what have you looked for in, in a faith community and how important has the church community been on your own journey? Extremely, uh, church community is everything to me. So I am very big on, I want to help people into healthy church communities. I know some people just take a few years off of church that is not my approach. That is not something that I endorse not um, because you need community. And so many right. people, when they just quit church altogether, um, end up being ostracized, end up alone. And it's already mm-hmm. a, almost a total loss of community. That's mm-hmm. like one of the 
biggest uh, unhealthy aspects of hyper-fundamentalist churches is just how quickly they drop you uh, if you disagree. That's like, oh my word, if we could just get rid of that one component, things would be so much better. Yeah. Um, but because of that total loss of community, when, when you do disagree, um, yeah, please don't isolate yourself from from the greater body of Christ, because a lot of us didn't, we don't, we don't have connections to other Christians outside mm-hmm. of our, our faith community that we grew up in because it was so exclusive and isolated. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so without those connections and then you don't find a new church and then you're alone and then you're ostracized. I have just, and shunned even, um, I've just mm-hmm. seen so many people that sunk into a mental, mm-hmm. you know, illness and despair and depression and, even a full mental break ended up in a psych ward um, kind of situations. And it's, man, that that is, oh, you don't want to be there. So please do find yeah. community. And it doesn't mean you have to find a home church like, you know, the next Sunday. It might take months. It might take mm-hmm. a year. But the, the, the idea is that you haven't given up um, mm-hmm. hope that you're still looking. And there are some people, I will add this because I want to be sensitive. There are some people that have like PTSD and literally have a panic attack um, walking into a church. I want to be very sympathetic and sensitive towards those situations. And, but even to my friends in those situations, I would gently recommend, hey, what about, have you considered a small group? Have you considered, you know, some other form of faith community? Yeah. Um, that that was actually my case as we left because it was so terrifying. That was our whole life, and um, so much of my um, the church trauma that that I and my husband experienced did have to do with you know people sending texts and saying we were watching you at church, and you know it just became very unsafe. It just felt very overwhelming. Um, to go to church and I would be triggered just walking through the doors and Mm -hmm. triggered is not, we literally use that um, in its literal sense here at Grace Story. It's not like, oh, it just made me feel really upset. No, triggered is it when it's a body reaction, physical reaction that you cannot um, uh, foresee or, or, or help like to stop. That's something, it's just a, a reaction. But when we've been wounded in relationship, we do have to heal in relationship. Um, so as someone who has experienced that end of things where it's kind of been that dramatic um, for me, I still had to, my husband didn't have the same reaction. He was, <laughs> he definitely had the same experience, but he did not have the same like panic response. And so he, we both got to the point where we realized it's not really safe for us to continue here. We're not going to be able to heal and thrive in community. So we are going to have to go look for another place to worship. And um, it was terrifying because we have four kids and it felt like as soon as we walk out these doors, um, we've damned our kids to hell. They're they're essentially going to be marrying unbelievers no matter what church we go to, you know, and that's what it felt like, even though we knew Holy Spirit-led very, very specific direction that it was time for us to leave for the health of our family. Um, But for me, that looked like being um, mindful of my triggers, being, um, I would try, you know, I, I went on medication at one point to help get through some of that panic and anxiety. I would go as long as I could. And, um, go out to the car if I needed to. My husband was aware. My husband was a safe person. So it's creating that safety while still finding that new environment. Um, So not giving up completely because it is hard to trust church again Mm -hmm. when you've been hurt by church. But that I think is what we're trying the listener to hear here is don't give up on church because you've been hurt by humans and Natalie Runyon with Raised to Stay is going to be at conference this year. She's a speaker next year. And she speaks into that if you're looking for a community that encourages in that way. Raised to Stay is a is a good um, support to go for that as well. Back to um, what to look for in a church, because I believe that was part of the question as well. Uh, one thing that I, because we actually, my husband and I just had to look for a church. We moved across the country. Um and so <laughs> we, there's no other option um, but to do the church search all over again. 
Um, and we just found one that we're so thrilled to be at. It just been here a few months, but so far wonderful. Um, one thing I definitely look for is community. So you don't want a church that you walk in, you walk out, nobody notices you. I know some people are tempted to look for that because, um, because we're kind of scared of people. And I understand that because I was there. Like that's a whole other story of my struggles going to church when I moved to Oregon. I just wanted to run right out and not know anybody. I didn't want to know the pastor. Like I'd been involved in so much church drama in the past that I just, I just didn't want to do any anything to do with the people. Um, but that's not that's not the New Testament concept of church. Church is not just this, you know, institution we go to and sit side by side and watch something at the front and all leave. That is not the New Testament concept of church whatsoever. So you want a church with community. Community groups um, can be wonderful. And they are at so many churches now. Um, so many churches have community groups that if you're looking for a church, you really don't have an excuse not to, you know, because there are just so many churches that have small groups, community groups, uh, Bible studies, you know, some kind of context where you're there and you can be held accountable and you can confess your sins and whatever you're struggling with, you can be real with people and be authentic. That is so important coming from these backgrounds where everyone, we were expected to be perfect and it was all about looking perfect. Um, adjusting to a church where they expect you to be real and authentic and have struggles, it's hard, but it's worth it because that's how we grow. And um, we can only grow when we admit, hey, there's an area I need to grow in. Um, and that's when other believers can come around us in a private context and help us and hold us accountable um, and love on us. Right. Um, so that's definitely something I look for. Obviously, you you want a church that is true to the Orthodox traditional teaching of Christianity, historical historic Christianity, the creeds, Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed. Yes. Um, are, are you know the fundamentals of the faith, and by that I really do mean the basic doctrines and tenets right. of the faith um, is definitely something we want to look for. We want to look for churches that value doctrine. Um, if they don't have a statement of faith, my personal opinion is don't mm -hmm. even bother visiting sure. um, right. because that should be so fundamental. And then another two things I'll mention is verse by verse teaching and um, maybe not a requirement, but oh, wow, is it helpful? Just exegetical expositional mm -hmm. teaching and preaching highly recommend looking for a church that values that because that means they value the word of God. Um, and then of course, actually <laughs> I said two more things, three more things. You want a church that loves on its community, outreach, practical mm -hmm. gospel. Um, if they are not doing outreach, if they are not making disciples, I don't even think they fit the biblical definition of a church mm -hmm. um, because that's so fundamental. Right. Um, and then thirdly, I personally would look for a church that has a plurality of, of elders or at the very least mm -hmm. um, multiple leaders. If it's only one man at the top and he holds all the power, there's a good chance it's either an authoritarian church or it could fall into that. Right. Maybe that one man that has it now is great, but you know he passes it down to someone else and a lot of churches become authoritarian like that and I think there's a biblical case for a plurality of leaders, elders. Um, I won't make that right now, but it's definitely something I'd look into. Well, with that, I don't know if you've made that list already on your site, but having that uh, listed out, what to look for in a church as you're mm -hmm. searching for, I know that'd be super helpful for people. I, I would also add to that as you're going in there looking for diversity, not only in ethnicity, but also in age. Is, is there a wide range? Do you see some of the youngest running around to the oldest to offer wisdom and then do people are there people that don't look like you uh in that church and that, that's hard in some neighborhoods um, but you know that's something else to look for as you're talking about this it makes me me think of, of one of the questions um like i well i think there's a lot of people that are in these unhealthy church environments that are looking out for people or examples of people who have moved to a healthy place and like, is that possible? Uh, and and mm -hmm. certainly these people that have moved to a, a, out of an unhealthy church that are still in a relationship with Christ where it's disproved that they got too close to the electric fence and now they're going to hell. 
like they're looking for people like that that they can like, oh, so I could do this. I could maintain my relationship with Christ. I could exercise liberties over man-made rules and still follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Um, and kind of an awkward question, but would you consider yourself an example to follow on how to move out of an unhealthy church environment? Uh, yes and no. Um, yes, I am one of the many, many, many Christians who have moved from these hyper-fundamentalist churches and maintained a relationship with Christ, pursued gospel-centered mm -hmm. Christianity, and ended up in a healthy church and doing well and still sharing the gospel. Um, and I say many because I really want to emphasize there are thousands and thousands right. and thousands of believers and i know a few thousand myself so if, right. if you know i personally know of them how many more are there right. um but obviously we just we cut people off as soon as they leave and i cannot tell you how many people i heard prayer requests growing up pray for so and so mm -hmm. pray for my son pray for you know because mm -hmm. i'm just you know god have mercy on their souls and then i yeah. run into these people after i left these um you know this very strict tradition and they are doing amazing and doing missions work and you know outwinning right. souls and just radiant with the love of christ and it's just like oh my goodness oh my word right <laughs> Hear, hearing the prayers of lord make them miserable till they come back or something like yes that. yeah <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah. yeah, I am. I would. I would say one of those. But I would say no. Don't follow me only. And um, please learn from my mistakes. Don't follow me exactly. That's that's for sure a caveat. I would add. Well, yeah. I think people yeah. do. I, th I think people do kind of look at, at you. And I, I would say even Amber, um, as as you guys are <laughs> just one or two steps ahead, um, people people are looking, um, and they are seeing that it's possible. And leading is sometimes just like, hey, I screwed up here. Watch that pothole. You're going to want to jump <laughs> here, duck here. Oh, my goodness, don't make the mistakes I did. That's part of leadership. And um, I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, it's not not humble to say that you understand you have an influence because we, we have a responsibility to that influence. The same thing that we're saying about pastors, ministry leaders, um, you know, church leaders, um, they have an influence and, and we will be responsible for that. And we, I know for me, I've been given so much grace. Um, and, and I've also been given the honor of, of, um, stewarding this calling that God has given to me with through grace story, but I'm also responsible for that and I'm accountable for that. And so um, this influence isn't just something where, you know, it's like so many followers or so many, like, it's not an, it's not an advertising thing. This isn't, you know, it doesn't make you more famous and get you more money. It just means there are people who are watching your life and it doesn't matter if you are Natalie or me or Nate that have a public voice, you, the listener, you have an influence and you are responsible to steward that influence. And so when any decision you make, whether it's to stay, to leave, um, to live, whichever way you do before God, um, it, you are responsible to do that with humility with um, awareness, because you do, you have people watching you no matter who you are. So I, I knew, I knew we weren't going to get to everything. There's so much left on the table still, uh, but we're running up on an hour here. Uh, and I do have one more question for you, but I want to give you an opportunity to um, just, uh, w where can we find more about you, about your organization, and maybe what can people expect to find uh, uh, when they, they look up Berean Holiness? Yeah, so um, first to find us, there's the website, first and foremost, BereanHoliness.com. Um, we're on Instagram, Berean Holiness, Facebook, Berean Holiness. Um, so that's where where you'd find us. And then I'm sorry, what was the other second half? Well, it's interesting. Nobody else took that name for you on any of those social media. That's, <laughs> what great luck. Nobody had Brian Holiness. Uh, no, and then the second part is what can people expect to find when they jump on those uh, the website or the social media pages? 
Oh, yeah. So the website, expect to find cross-examinations, um, especially we're going to have a lot of the hyperfundamentalist doctrines that are shared. And we're going to try to use their words as much as possible and then cross-examine them with scripture and with logic. And it's going to be up to you, the reader, uh, to discern who has the stronger argument here, which stands or falls on, on the word of God. And um, on the social media, a lot of what we do there is really trying to uh, find people. That's kind of the top of the funnel. I don't know how to better say it. So on Facebook, especially, you're going to see some more controversial things. You might see a sermon clip here or there um, that we are either critiquing or pushing back on or just saying, hey, what's up with this? Um, and you'll find some posts, hopefully, that are encouraging, hopefully, that uh, you can relate to. Um, but then from there, we, we want people to reach out. We want people to message, to email, so we can talk to you one-on-one. -on -one. We can help you. We can plug you into private discussion forums. Um, I'm really excited. We have a lot coming in 2023. Um, and one of those many things that are, are coming up is we have invited holiness ministers and also anyone from any of these movements, independent fundamental Baptists, Branhamite, Mennonite, um, doesn't matter. One is Pentecostal. If you want to talk to us, we have a public discussion dialogue. It's kind of like a, a form, a request form, and we would love to talk to you. We want to have audio and video recordings um, with myself, most likely my brother Nathan, uh, dialoguing publicly with these ministers and just saying, okay, you know, here's how we would define separation from the world. Share your view. Clarify your view. And that'll give audience and and followers another way to see, okay, which, you know, back to what we were talking about earlier, that theological conflict and, and which uh, view stands or falls. Um, so you're definitely going to see that. And then, but as you plug into more of the private resources in Berean, um, which would probably start by reaching out, uh, you will, there'll be more support, more compassion, more trying to listen and, and hear people out are definitely our most important resource is our seasonal community groups, which right now we're doing at least in our fall, and they each run about um, six to eight weeks. Some are very much encouragement-based, gospel-centered, let's listen to each other, let's talk about grace and the gospel. Others are, you know, do you have to speak in tongues for salvation? Because <laughs> millions of people believe that, so let's challenge that. Let's dig into the word together. Um, and see if, if this be so. And so it's a, but it's a much more personal because it's just like, you know, eight people meeting together on Zoom every week. And so many people have said those groups are life changing. So we're definitely looking forward to more of that. And that's where I would most recommend people getting plugged in. Well, it sounds like a lot more uh, of a collegiate, educated uh, level of speaking about things people have been talking about around their kitchen tables in private for decades, you know, skirts, uh, pants, rings, hair, curl, don't curl, hose, <laughs> uh, all those so speaking in tongues, Trinity, all those sorts of things. Sounds like you're addressing all of those, but from a biblically based uh, Christian worldview and definitely at that collegiate level. Um, so here at the end, and we're running out of time, but I, I like to give each, each uh, person in, um, uh, as a guest, an opportunity to talk directly to our listeners. Um, and if there's something we've talked about today or something that uh, has been on your heart recently, uh, something you want to uh, leave uh, a Grace Story podcast listener with from Natalie, what would that be today? That would be that God's love for you is not contingent upon your works. Um, you will never be perfect. You will never be holy. You will never be strict enough. Um, and it's okay because that's that's why Jesus, that's why the gospel, that's why but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that's Romans 5 and 8. So, yeah, no, you'll never be perfect and you'll never be good enough. But that's why Jesus came. And that's why it's not contingent upon our works, but just believing loyalty, that faith, that trust in Christ and following Christ. And we are secure in Jesus. And it's not a, salvation's not a yo-yo. And that we, 
you know, we gain and lose every day depending on how good we are. Um, it, it's very much a personal relationship with Jesus and the holiness comes through Christ, not through our works. And we can rest in that there's so much peace, there's so much grace, there's so much safety in that genuine gospel message. I love that. And that, I mean, that's the, the free gift of salvation. And then out of that free gift, uh, we, we have perfect love to uh, obey out of love, not out of something where we can earn our way, our way to heaven. But I love that. Amber, anything else from you? No, thank you so much for sharing this conversation, Natalie. It's been a joy. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. And to you, the listener, thank you for joining us on Grace Story Podcast. Um, we we have more over at Grace Story Ministries for you, gracestoryministries.com, rather. So go over there and check that out, all sorts of resources. Check out the uh, conferences coming up. Uh, make sure you get your registration squared away for that. Like I say every time, there is no us without you. So get engaged. Uh, keep on your journey of restoration. Uh, we're right here with you the whole way. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. More to come from Grace Story Ministries. Until then, we'll be praying for you. <laughs>